Chief Miller is dedicated to featuring the men and women of the fire service from around the world. Chief Miller has a family of content creators who feature great people doing great things, making the fire service a better place. Make sure to follow along as Chief Miller creates, shares, collaborates, and features the special people who call themselves firefighters. Follow along on Instagram at Chief underscore Miller. Find him on Twitter at Chief underscore Miller underscore. Like him on Facebook at Chief underscore Miller number one. And watch for all the podcasts featured within the Chief Miller media family. Make sure to check out ChiefMillerApparel.com for all your fire service apparel needs. BSWUSA.com has done it yet again, gang. Hey, it's Jason, and today I want to introduce the new sound with this Shure SM7B microphone I just got from my friend Jamie at BSWUSA.com. It is an industry leader. It's been around for decades. And you know what? It adds accent to what I already have with my great MXL BCD1 mics in this Rodecaster Pro. So guys, again, as I told you, I started this with a mic and an app. And here I am a year and a half later adding some awesome new sound to the show. So this is what you can do if you want to do the same. Go check out bswusa.com and talk to my friend Jamie Singer about getting into a Rodecaster Pro or one of the Zoom boards. There are plenty of options and combos out there where you can get mics and a board at a price you can afford. Again, go check out my friends at bswusa.com. The K-Man Radio Show is proudly sponsored by some great firefighter-owned businesses. And we're going to shamelessly plug them here for a second, starting with AxeCaps.com. If you're looking to get into some great firefighter-made apparel, what about custom apparel from hats to shirts? What about the Can-Man apparel line? Go check out AxeCaps.com today. And Ian Sargent from SGTFireBags.com. If you're looking to get into a clean radio strap, what about a gear bag that protects you from the carcinogens that we're exposed to on a daily basis? Well, go check out SGT Firebags today and use CanMan for 10% off. And my brother, Herb Tyler from National Rescue Consultants, that's NRC.com. If you're looking to upgrade your education in the USAR world, go check out my brother, Herb Tyler at National Rescue Consultants. That's NRC.com. Get off your ass canners and get ready for some extreme tabletop exercises. It's time for the Can Man Radio Show. And now your fearless leader, the senior canner himself, Jason Liska. It's a very special night, a special episode, a really important one at that. And, and tonight I have the pleasure, well, of hosting a very good friend and mentor and someone who I admire and who has given 40 years plus to the fire services, uh, a Jake, a Lou, a chief, a deputy chief, a chief paramedic, an author, and other contributions to, to follow suit. And for this 25th, 20th. Fifth episode of the Can Man Radio Show. 
I am so proud to bring in my friend, Gary Ludwig, Chief of Champaign, Illinois Fire Department. How are you, my friend? I am so blessed. Um, Any better than I would be you. Well, you know, this is an exciting opportunity. We are at episode 25, and we have been bouncing this idea around now for, oh my God, at least six or seven months, because we've got a book that we're going to discuss this evening, a book that I... I fell in love with the moment I, it, it arrived, and and just the cover alone, representing some of your life and your work, this book right here called Fully Involved Leadership. And I can tell you that the moment I opened it up and read this inscription, uh, Jason Liska, true brother, and, and that was from you, and that was sent to me last year. Not only did I read this cover to cover, but paying it forward was probably one of the most beneficial things that could have ever been done to honor this work you have put into this book and the messaging behind it. And from my probie to several others in the service, whether they got a year or two on already or not, who have read this book, have all read it not once, but twice in some cases, and have taken different components from this book. And I got to tell you something, like I said, with 401 things, you know, it's a, it's basically a manual you know, for firefighters to basically help build their career step by step. This is for the emerging leader right here. Fully involved leadership is an impactful piece of work that you have put your blood, sweat and tears into. And, and I'm so proud that we finally have the chance to be able to talk about this tonight. Well, I'm honored to be here with you, quite frankly. So I'm excited to always talk about leadership and any opportunity I have to mentor and coach and, and do professional development and, and bring up those that are coming behind me um, and make this fire service even better than what it is. I will always take that opportunity. You know, and, and that is the thing. And, and the whole purpose behind creating this movement with the can man. And, and then of course, talking about the show and expanding where we have to from just a few years ago, where I started this with the, the phone and, and, and a microphone and an app and moving into where we're at today the, the theme, I've wanted it to be consistent. It's, it's always been about the importance of mentorship and leading. And at the same time, I made a promise to a good friend of mine a long time ago before I put my microphone to work. And it was Andy Starnes uh, out of uh, Charlotte. And he said, if you're going to talk about leadership, you cannot make it all about the white picket fence lifestyle of leadership. You've got to present the good and the bad in leadership. Yes. And... It's the only way we learn is through our mistakes. Isn't that the truth? And fully involved leadership is is definitely an example of what is good and bad in leadership. And it's not an expose of all things bad, but it's a life's work. It's a body of work that you have taken from day one to where you're at today, in a sense. And you've experienced both sides of leadership from being the Jake on the street to the chief behind the desk now. And you've been impacted and inspired in some cases rather than motivated, because I know the term motivation is not necessarily the right term to use at all times, but you've been inspired by both good and bad leaders to become the leader you are today in a sense. And I think that's important. Yeah. I say it all the time, don't motivate your firefighters, inspire them, you know, give them that drive to go out every day, uh, and, and be the best they can to continue to learn, continue, continue to develop, and continue to serve that when the bell hits, they're ready to go. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, it's uh, thank you for all the kind comments you made. And, uh, and you're right. There's a lot of things in that book that, uh, you know, that bring me, you know, that, you know, that I, I didn't learn through osmosis. Uh, I learned through other mentors, those that chose to take me and, and teach me 
informally. We, we never had a classroom, you know, with the, with the blackboard and, you know, we sat there and mentored. We, you know, it was an opportunity for me to pick their brains and, and then for them to talk about things. And so um, there's also, you know, the book encompasses mistakes that I've made. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's a combination of all those things because, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not perfect. Far from it. Just ask my wife, <laughs> or ask Sarah on the other side of the wall. She'll she'll uh, she'll give you examples. Trust me. I yeah, promise. My, you. Uh, my wife swears up and down her next husband's going to be normal. So, um, but then he'd be boring. Was, by the way, he'd be boring uh, if he was normal. It would be boring for her. Yes. <laughs> but, and but you know the bottom line is uh, uh, we all make mistakes. We all it's the rent we pay for our advancement, as I like to say. You know, it's funny you say that because you you stepped into leadership at an age where most people wouldn't even consider it. I mean, you were 18 when you joined the St. Louis Fire Department, which is, you know, one important component of this book where things start. And, and I don't want to give away the whole book because I want people to go to Audible. I want people to find it on Amazon. I want people to listen to it or read it because the messaging inside of it is what matters. But, you know, you, you look at when you came into your role as a leader, and it's something that I've looked back on even in my own world and have discussed in conversations and different podcasts when you were 20, you were nowhere near ready to be a, a lieutenant on a fire no, truck. Not at absolutely, all. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm working with men who came out of World War II. Yeah. Korea, Vietnam. I mean, there was some salty dogs that came out of World War II because I started in 77. Yeah. So if you think if you can subtract 30 years, that's 47. <laughs> I mean, I'm 43. So if that tells you I was uh, born in 77, I'm just saying, let, let's not go there. Let's not go there. Uh, make me feel bad. Jason. Listen, so, we poked each other back and forth in different podcasts. I had to throw a jab this one. Just one little jab. That's, that's right. I, and I'll, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm on a 50s radio station and the hits just keep on coming. There you go. So, See, if I could do it any better, I'd be playing bebop in the background. How about that? Or doo-wop. Yeah. The only thing I'm missing is uh, 718 on your on the in the morning is 58 degrees. It's time to get up. So well, and traffic uh, on I-75 is at a crawl thanks to this yes. infamous snowstorm, this blizzard coming in right now. I could do it. I used to do traffic, so I could pull one out of my tuchus if I needed to. Roger that. So, uh, but but yeah, it's uh, I, you're right. I'm I'm dealing with with professionals that came out of that were fought in the European theater or the Pacific yeah. theater. Then, you know, worked in the streets of St. Louis. Uh, and, uh, you know, what, what could I teach them other than to show them respect? Yeah. And I, that came from my mom. Uh, I had to give it to my mom. Uh, she actually, and I didn't realize it until as of late, that she was a role model for me for how to treat people. And so, um, you know, I, I contribute any successes I had early on uh, to the fact that at least I treated people with respect and gave them the dignity they should. Um, and, and that probably sustained me through those early years. I, you know, I said this in a, in a podcast, uh, not long ago with a, my good friend, uh, chief Chikorotis, and we talked about how our mentors, uh, really truly started out as our parents in a lot of cases and the lessons they taught us about, you know, having pride, having a work ethic, having some sense of moral fiber and, and, and an ethos in a sense, which everybody should have, or at least understand what the term ethos stands for. And, and we get back to that whole concept of you being that 20 year old kid and stepping into that realm of leadership and having men who were battle hardened. You're talking the veterans from World War One all the way to Vietnam sitting there before you looking at you saying you're our leader. OK, we'll think twice about that decision. And how did you earn it? How did you earn that title? And, and it was not just by the bugle. It was through your methodology. It was through your practice of showing them respect. 
and earning that respect in return. It was reciprocal. It's, it's about being a servant leader. Yeah. Uh, they're not there to serve me. I'm there to serve them. Damn straight. I'm there, and that has been my mantra going forward all the way to where I'm at today. I believe in the inverted table of organization. I talk about that in the book. Yes, you do. The fire chief is at the bottom. Mrs. Smith is at the top yep. of that organizational chart. The firefighters, um, they're in the middle. The company officers are below that. The chief officers are below that. Mm-hmm. And I'm at the bottom. They are not here to serve me. I'm here to serve them. I'm here to make sure they have all the tools and all the education, all the training and all the resources they need that when that bell hits, they can serve the community. See, being a problem solver as a leader is not always about solving complex problems. It's about addressing issues that revolve around those very needs, that hierarchy of needs that a firefighter has on a daily basis, whether it's Recently, a, 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 compa- a compatriot of mine reached out and said, hey, we got to have this class. A lot of us need this class in order to be able to finish out our FO2 series. We can't find it anywhere. You know, what do we need to do? Well, you know what? Pulled some, uh, you know, assets together, pulled in some favors. And guess what we were able to do? Pull that class together so these guys can do that. It wasn't me. I don't want to put myself on the pedestal. We did it for them. You know why? Because they have every right to test for lieutenant and have every right to step up and be damn good leaders and maybe better than you and I one day as chiefs or as my boss. If I'm still in Lake County in 10, 15 years, everyone deserves that opportunity. But again, it and comes you're, down. You're such a youngster. You're only born in 1977. So. I, I mean, but, you know, I. You, you throw the youngster card out there, but don't forget, okay, I've got 20 plus years too now. And, and yeah, you've got a 20 extra on me. Don't get me wrong. I get it. But okay. it's weird looking at that aspect of retirement that I could literally walk away in f- less than four years if I wanted to. And under 50, it's it's a yeah. scary concept, you know? We're all blessed that uh, those that uh, represent us in labor have done what they've done and uh, it's, it, we're just blessed. Yes. Well, and, and that being said, let's get back to the, to the leadership aspect. And, and one of the aspects you definitely expand on in the book is competence versus character and how a leader can be competent, but have zero character or vice versa, or can lack both characteristics of competence and character and have no charisma whatsoever and no ability to do their job, which is def- definitely a problem when it comes to another aspect we'll talk about is making right decisions, wrong decisions, or indecision in the end, in a sense. Yeah, it's, it's clear that there are I bet people ask me all the time, what is the leading trait or what is the main trait you need to have as a leader? And I said, there's more than one. There's, there's two. Mm-hmm. It's character. It's character and competence. Mm-hmm. You can be extremely competent. You could have every certification um, that, you know, that the that is offered, you know, fire officer one, two, three, four, yep. you know, hazmat, rope, you know, rope technician, you know, the list goes on and on. Um but, you know, the question is, what is your character? Are you one that stabs your fellow firefighters in the back? Are mm-hmm. you one that lies to your firefighters? Are you one that they don't trust um, because of your character? Yeah. Do you lie? Do you cheat? Do you steal? You know, those are all things, you know, you, you can't be a leader if no one trusts you. Amen. You might be extremely confident, as I just said, with all the certifications. You might have a master's degree. You might have two masters or you might have a PhD. You might be extremely competent, but if you don't have character, you can't be a leader. And the inverse is true also. Yeah. You know, you may have character, um, but again, you also have to have that cred, as I like to say. 
You have to have that credibility. You have to have those certifications. You've had to been in the trenches mm-hmm. and, and, and fought those fights or fight those fights, fought those fights, fight those fights. I, I got you. I got you. And you, know, you have to have competence and demonstrate competence. And so you can be a leader and have character, but if you have no competence and no character or no, no credibility, nobody's going to want to lead and follow you, especially if you give an order on a fire ground. Oh Lord. And, and think about, think about that. We've seen it though. We've seen You'd it. You'd be the most leaders. ethical person in the world, but if you have, you make poor decisions tactically, you're not a leader. So there are two important qualities that are needed in leadership. And that's competence and character. I couldn't agree more. You, know, you look at the, you know, I know you're young, but it, look at the Enron, Enron scandal. Yeah. Very extremely competent people in the world of finance. Very bright and brilliant people. No character. Yeah. Completely unethical. You know, so we can translate this not only from our profession to other professions also. I mean, Enron, let's talk about the market drop from the housing, uh, you know, the hedge funders, all of the people out there yeah. that capitalize on the backs of others in order to get ahead. They're smart because they know how to do it and they get away with it only you know, for so long until finally people catch on. And then there's consequences for those actions, too, though. And it does eventually right. catch up to them. Again, competence, but no character. Exactly. You you got to have those both those qualities and, in order to be a leader. And I think that it's important. And and uh, Don Campbell from here in Florida, he's a district chief in Gainesville. And we interviewed uh, each. I interviewed him back in uh, the the end of last year, right after we were starting to open things back up and getting back up to the school. And one of the things he talked about, and it, you know, it it kind of resonated with me was how you treat your people, but at the same time, the feedback that you should get from your people about your own performance and doing that gut check, the importance of having a leadership gut check performed to determine your effectiveness as a leader. Because you can be efficient, but are you really effective just by simply being efficient in your role as a leader? You're absolutely correct. There is a clear distinction between the two when we talk about efficacy issues. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so you need to be continually doing a 360 also of yourself. Yeah. Continually reassessing your abilities. I, I tell you what, I am the biggest critic of myself. Damn straight. I beat myself up more than anybody. You know, when, when I give a lecture at a conference or a seminar, or, you know, when they fill out those evaluation sheets, mm-hmm. I look at it and I go, oh, five, 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 five. I throw them away. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking for the ones. Yep on the evaluation sheet. I'm looking for, because what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. And if I see a bunch of those, I know I got an area I have to improve in. If I see one, I'm not so upset about it, but but if I see a bunch of people that said something that is consistent across the board, I, I got some issues to address in my next performance, or my I shouldn't say performance, but my next presentation that I have to do. It's the only way you can evolve. I mean, falling back onto all of the mistakes I've made and still make, like you admit in the book as well, the importance of taking those mistakes and learning from them. It's okay to say sorry. It's okay to say, you know what? I made a mistake. It's okay to fall on the sword and it's okay to be passionate about wanting to better yourself, but realizing you're going to crack those eggs in the process. And if you don't, sometimes you're not going to learn how to evolve. And that's important. You talk about this in the book. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it's okay. I've been the fire chief, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, coming on a little over six and a half years here in Champaign. And Mm -hmm. I have made mistakes and I say, I'm sorry. I've told firefighters, I'm sorry. There's, there's, there's no disgrace in saying you're sorry. No. And, 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 uh, if you made a mistake, let's fix it and move on. 
And the same thing that happens with my firefighters. If they make a mistake, unless they did it intentionally, I'm not upset. My, my goal is let's learn from this mistake. Mm-hmm. Let's educate you. Let's train you so that when the next opportunity comes up that we don't do the same thing again. So let's talk about how by doing just that, by demonstrating that humility as a leader, how you could inspire your people to be great at their job, in their treatment of others, and, and their success in the fire department. That, that's got to be an inspiring factor because I know we've talked and I catch myself all the time and I always say, you know, Gary would be pissed at me if I said motivating instead of inspiring because we should always be inspiring our people to do better. We're not perfect. We don't walk a perfect life. We don't ask for perfection. We just want to inspire you through our actions because that's what matters. Seeing us make mistakes, admitting them and being humble about life and our approach to leadership is how we truly succeed instead of the backstabbing aspect that can inspire in another way to get people to say, I don't want to be like that dirtbag. I want to be better than them, but I want to inspire as a leader. So how do we do that? It's through demonstrating that humility. Yeah. So Jason, I talk about this in the book. There's, there are the three uns I call them. Yeah. There are three reasons why firefighters do something wrong. This they're unaware, unable, or unwilling. Yeah. You know, very seldom do I really find a firefighter who is unwilling to do the job. Um, sometimes they they are unaware. They are forced into a decision. They have a choice of one. There might be three, four, five, six possibilities, seven possibilities. Yeah. Who yeah. knows? They make what they think is the best decision based upon their education, training, and experience, and it may be wrong. And and as a result of that, they didn't do it because they were unwilling is maybe because they were unaware of something. So it's important for me as a fire chief, that's not a punitive thing. That's an opportunity for me to coach and mentor and develop them so that when the next opportunity comes up, that that you know basically we don't do it again. I, I've lived in some departments and seen chiefs that they hand out discipline like it's candy. Yeah. And I'll just be frank and honest, it disgusted me. Oh, yeah. I, I uh, There was one department that my last year there, I couldn't even get out of bed and come to work um, because of the way I saw people screwed with mm-hmm. by the administration. Mm-hmm. And I vowed that will never happen when I get my fifth bugle because our job as chiefs is to develop. Yeah. You know, we don't beat people until morale improves and our job is to develop and make you as good as you can. And you don't do that by whipping somebody with a whip because they did something wrong. We do that through training. The only time that I've ever had to truly look at discipline is when the firefighter is unwilling to do the job. Yeah. If they're on, you know, and sometimes they're unable, they might need a tool. They might need some other type of resource. Well, that's up to me as the fire chief to make sure they have that tool and that resource to do the job. So uh, again, they're either unwilling, unaware or unable, but even on the unaware they sometimes have to make at-risk, I call them at-risk decisions. Yeah. You, you're, you might be of A, B, or C of choice that you have to make a decision. Some company officer pulls up on a scene, he's faced with a scenario or she's faced with a scenario, and they have to choose. They have three different options. They choose A. Maybe B was a better choice. Yep. And I've seen people disciplined for that, and it has actually disgusted me that we take people who are willing, hard chargers, willing to do the job, and we whip them backwards and, and force them basically, basically to say, you know what, screw it. I'm not making any decisions anymore. You know what it makes me feel like? It feels like we diminish the importance of accountability. If we're just going to go straight to discipline, that doesn't teach me shit. The paperwork that you hand me doesn't teach me anything more than just what's written on that document. 
you give me the tools to succeed, you show me a better way to move forward, make me understand where I was accountable for that bad decision. And I'll better myself to move forward versus having to live with that solo piece of paper with words on it. That really, to me, it's just a methodology of bad leadership. If we're just going to hand you paper after paper, it doesn't solve the problem. Show me where. And if you can't as a leader, why don't you direct me to the person that can? Because again, I don't know everything. I'm not the best or the worst lieutenant. I like to think I'm passionate about what I do as a Lou. I'm competent. I do think I have character. I'm proud to serve my people because my crew comes before me. There's no denying that. And they know that. They know where my loyalty lies. But the bottom line is, if we can't demonstrate accountability through the process of discipline, then why bother just going to a piece of paper at all? I think it was Teddy Roosevelt that said, they don't want, they don't, they don't care how much you know, they want to know how much you care. Yeah. And, and, and that's what, I, that's what leadership demonstrates is caring for your people, taking care of your people, developing your people. It's not an us versus them. As a lot of people think we're one team. And you have to be a leader and help develop your people, help them do the job by getting the tools, the resources, the education, the training, and then supporting them when they, when they roll out that door and the door closes behind them. I couldn't agree more. And yet we often fail to see that happen. And then what I think we get is that lateral transition in a lot of cases. It's not always about the money. Sometimes it's about seeking out better leadership. You know, I get a lot of the young people that leave departments from around my area within 100 to 200 miles. Why'd you come here? Uh, you know what, the administration or the chiefs or this, it was that. And, and very rarely do I hear it was because of the raise, because in reality, two to $3,000 more a year doesn't make that much of a difference. It's because of the culture, it's because of the leadership that a lot of people walk away from departments looking for a better avenue or a better resource. We're proud to take them in. I'm happy to take them in. As a Lou, I have a lot of ability and a lot of latitude that I can utilize to my advantage to help mentor and develop these kids. I can hand them off to other Lou's that want to do the same thing. I got a lot of great officers in my department that I admire. I think that sit higher than me in the hierarchy of, uh, of abilities and, and competence, and I respect the hell out of them. But that's the point. We all understand strengths and weaknesses, and we see that character in people, and we want to develop that character, even when others are failing to look at that character or that potential that resides inside of each of them. I tell people all the time, um, when a firefighter leaves your company, you're not leaving their company because of where they're stationed. They're leaving their company because of you. Yeah. Yep. And that's important to if know. They leave the department. They're not. Yeah. They were. They are. They are leaving bad leaders. Is what they're leaving. And you know. Want to go someplace else. And that kind of segues. Look at the officer. Go ahead. Never has an opening. I'm just saying. I just want to finish my thought. Look at the officer who never has an opening on their company. Yeah. Why is that? Because their their firefighters never want to leave. The time they might leave is when they get promoted. But, but that's they, okay. They love working for that officer. They want to be with that officer. They want to be with that battalion chief in that division or that battalion. Uh, they leave. They don't leave because of anything else except because of, of who is leading them. It There's nothing prouder than as a company officer seeing your probie make it off probation, go into medic school, go into the USAR world if that's their desire. Seek the FO1, FO2 classes out so they can promote in four, six, seven, eight, nine years whenever they choose to do so and truly evolve from those fundamental foundational uh, aspects of leadership that we try to teach them as as the mentors to them and their very first exposure in some cases to the fire service. It's a rewarding concept at the end of the day, a rewarding uh, prospect to see them just getting off that first year makes a difference in attitude, I think. And it turns them into mentors for that 
that next generation, which is that pay it forward mentality. Roger that. And, and, um, I, I can't, I don't know more to say than what you just said. You're absolutely right there. It is so, so fulfilling to see those that you have developed and those that you've worked with succeed. Damn straight. And yet at the same time, we touched on bad leadership a little bit. And I want to go back to this for a second, because in one aspect, you remind people that if you have to tell them you outrank them, then guess what? You're probably not a leader. And that is a very true statement. If I have to remind you that I'm your Lou, or you have to remind them that you're their chief. Well, one, you don't have the respect that you anticipated you had from that person. And two, you got to figure out why you lost it or never had it to begin with. Absolutely. It's the rank on the insignia or the collar brass or the title don't make you a leader. No. That, that is nothing but the superficial is all that is, is a title and it is a piece of metal on your collar. That's all that is. Yep. The white shirt doesn't make you a leader. Nope. Uh, what makes you a leader is your actions. That is a damn truth. And when you think about it, what actions stand out more often than the good actions in some cases? It's the negative actions of that leader because that's all they know. And the few and far between uh, inconsequential, minute, small acts of generosity or compassion are not even on the scale to balance out or outweigh the negativity that a bad leader can bring into a house and the toxic nature of that bad leader. And it grows. As I like to say, that they, they seldom remember the last thing you did for them, but they will remember how, they, how you made them feel the last time. And you think micromanaging plays an important role in that? That's something we discuss uh, in this book as well. We talk about not being a micromanager as a leader and how that can negatively or adversely impact the growth potential of a firefighter. Yeah, I, you know, and when you micromanage somebody, uh, you know, what you're sending is a message that I don't trust you. Yeah. I don't trust you to do things. I don't trust you. I have no faith in you. And as a result of that, I'm going to micromanage you and, and make sure everything is done right. And, and uh, you know, we can't micromanage our people. You know, I, I talk about a lieutenant in the book there when I was in Memphis that, that he came in and reported me. You know, I, I could barely get in the office, you know, and he, and he was one of the lieutenants on my staff, and, and I could barely get into the office and get the light turned on on the switch, and he's in there telling me what he did the day before and what he's going to do today. And one day he caught me off guard, and, you know, I gave him an expletive. I go, anyway, I won't say it. but um, I know what you're saying, though. I know what you're saying. Around, I, was, I was a bad morning. You know, he turned around, he left. And I thought, what a jerk I was. I made a mistake. Yeah. I got on yeah. the phone. I brought him back in. I apologized. And I said, his name was Jim. I said, Jim. And he knows who he knows. We laugh about this story now. I, I said, you don't have to come in and tell me everything you're doing. I trust you. I have faith in you. I believe in you. And if you make a mistake, it's okay. We fix it. And then we move on. It's all right. He goes, I've never worked in that environment before. And I was a new deputy chief in Memphis at the time. Yeah. He says, I've never worked in that environment before. I said, well, it's a new day. I, and, I, uh, I read that repeatedly just to recite that story in my head about Jim and the 7 a.m. lights on, not even ready to, you didn't even have your first bit of anything in your system. And you were, you were right there. It was done. You didn't have a choice but to respond, you yeah. know, but. And we laugh, and Jim and I laugh, we talk on the phone, we laugh about it now. Yeah. And cause I'll, cause I'll. <laughs> He'll call me on the phone. I'll see it's him. And I'll go, is this effing important? <laughs> <laughs> but on a more serious note. Because that's, that's what I said that morning when he was following me in the, into my office. I go, is this effing important? Yeah. Yeah. And, well, he, and he knew it. He turned around. He walked back out. I thought, 
Oh my God, Gary, what a mistake that was. Yeah. I waited get back to his office. I called him on the phone. I said, come back up here, Jim. And, I apologized. And and how about that that lesson you learned about keeping your emotions in check as a leader? My God. Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, when I talk about that, this is not so much what this applies to, but let's, can we segue into that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, we can. Absolutely. Because it, it's about, a good segue. It is. I talk about I before E in the book. Yes, you do. We always, you know, you hear that in spelling, I before E except after C and all this stuff. Well, I take that, I play off that is I before E, intelligence before emotions. Yeah. And and what I have seen, Jason, is this phenomena that chief officers, company officers, will our brains are wired. Mm-hmm. We are wired that that we are sent somewhere, we are faced with a problem, we come up with a solution, we fix it. We get back in the cab of our truck, the radio that we're in service, and we go back home. It's done. Our, we do that every day. Our yeah. brain's wired like that. So what happens when an administrative problem comes to us? we got to fix it right now. Absolutely we gotta, right. We've got to find a solution. We've got to fix it. And that I tell people, don't do that. Mm-hmm. You're not an emergency scene. You have the luxury of discretionary time. Use that luxury. Use that discretionary time to make sure you're making the right decision. In the case of me as a fire chief, I tell chief officers all this all the time, talk to your HR department, talk to your legal department. If it is a really sticky situation, you should be consulting with them. Oh, yeah. If, if, if I'm running a fire scene, if I'm running a two or three alarm fire, uh-huh. sitting in my car, running it, you've got my tack board in front of me and I got companies everywhere. I got them, you know, on the roof. I got them, you know, on side alpha. I got them in the Bravo division, you know, and, 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 and my lawyer, were to get in my car and start telling me how to run the fire, I would laugh at them. Yeah. You would probably laugh at, you know, and they're laughing at us. If we're trying to figure out a personnel issue or a legal issue or a human resource issue without talking to them, they're laughing at us because we're, we're doing the same thing that they would be doing. We're laughing at them. They get in the car, the command car and try to tell us how to run a fire. Yeah. Why are we trying to handle an HR or personnel or a legal matter without talking to them. So use that discretionary time, use that time to make sure you're making the right decision and you're, and you're going forward and that you're not doing further harm. So it's I before E intelligence before emotion, which makes perfect sense because you, you think, like you said, that every problem has to be solved in an instant as soon as it's presented. But you know what I like the ability to do is is that moment to reflect. And if I don't have to call HR or let's say I don't have to reach out to the county attorney, I have a battalion chief I can reach out to. Hey, you know, chief, I got this issue. It's foreign to me. I could use a little step up, a little phone a friend. Let's let's see what we can do to resolve this together. One of the things I think is important as a company officer, and, and I think that this is something a lot of company officers forget, is that they have more discretion and more latitude than most chief officers do when it comes to handling issues. And if you think about that and the the, the concept of that power, the company officer is one of the most empowered leaders in the fire service. And if you just simply sit back and think about what you're capable of doing versus having to rely on everybody else to do it for you, and you think emotionally ahead of thinking intelligently, you're going to screw things up if you just simply take that time to just put the intellectual aspect behind the problem, find the solution, whether it involves you going up or down or staying where you're at. Guess what? You'll find it. You just have to take that breath and do it. Yeah, it's 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 funny you say that because uh, you're right. Our company officers are the backbone of the fire service. You know, they 
they are there when the Chiefs have gone home yeah. and are sitting in a recliner watching Netflix. They are there to run the fire department. And so I tell my company officers, hey, I, I give you a $750,000 truck, and I give you responsibility for that. I also give you responsibility for over a $1 million building here. You know, I, I just put $1.75 million in taxpayer money in your hands. I'm giving you that responsibility. I better trust you. Yeah. Not only to handle that, but to handle everything else. So if I don't trust you or nothing else, then give me my fire truck back and give me my building back because that's a lot of money that I'm putting into your hands. So, <laughs> but I trust my company officers. I, I am so blessed to have such exceptional company officers. But but they were the backbone. They're if we're going to give them that much money to manage, then we should also give them the the ability to make decisions. You know, one of the things that uh, some people don't realize, and and whether you are a fan of Chiefs or not, I I can say this, and and I'm saying this outside of you, of course, because I'm a fan of you and you're a Chief. Just call it what it is, right? But let's talk about what my Chief did for us. Whether we like him or not is irrelevant, but our Chief, when he promoted us, he handed us a book, and it was a what-if book. You run into a problem. This is what we're going to give you to help find the resources to solve the problems. He had the foresight not to be a micromanager, not to be the person who's in your every phase of your step of growth and potential and opportunity. Even when you screw up, he's not always there to be involved, right? But when you have a complex issue or something out of the ordinary, he handed you a book with about 30 pages in it of different problems that are not day-to-day issues and how to solve them if you're presented with them. And I'm going to tell you something, that's a great asset to have as a new company officer. I wish more chiefs did stuff like that. I, I love that. Uh, I love that concept and I, idea. The what if, is it what it's called? Is the what it's if? It's the what if guide, basically. So it, it's just, a, he hands it to you in a red binder and it's a hard paper, nicely printed, well organized. And it's just a step-by-step methodology for anything from, and let's just say things like you have a, a visitor to, at the station, it's the media, or an attorney calls, or what if you have a county commissioner show up, or you have a sinkhole, things like that. You know, resources that you might need to consider but you didn't think about it. That what if book is there to help you like a protocol book almost. Yeah. Something, you know, I can, I can see some things in the book that I would have to deal with here. Like whatever, you got a gator in the road. Yeah. You know, that <laughs> <laughs> this is Florida. I mean, well, what if you, what would you have up there? What if you had a Fox in the road? No, that wouldn't be a good yeah. comparison. What if you had uh, a bear? A bear. Yeah. I okay. think there's some bears around Illinois there. Yeah. Um, brown bear. So, uh, Maybe black bears. I, I forget, but yeah, uh, but yeah, you know, a python. You know, what if what if you get a forty foot python? You know, I, I can see that in your case. So I was going to say there were a couple of teenagers not far from me that captured, I think, a sixteen plus foot python out of a tube not oh. long ago, and they, it's a fair kill uh, opportunity here. These pythons have invaded our you know ecosystem in such a negative way. It's like wild pigs. You just go to town. You just go get these pythons year round. I guess I don't know enough about it, and I'm on the venom team of all things. I should know, right? But it's fair game on them. Fair game, you know. Yeah. You mean fair game to kill them? You mean? Oh yeah, no. There, there are groups that go down there and actually hunt them, and that's kind of what they do. Is uh, maybe not necessarily a living. I'm sure there are people out there that trap and kill them. I'm sure there's value in that, but yeah, it's a it's an open season on pythons because of how invasive they are to our ecosystem. Yeah. So anyway, I digress on. You, ah, but, me uh, too. Me too. But uh, but uh, but I. Yeah, I believe really. Uh, what if book? I love that concept and that idea. I just Who wish. I just wish people understood the importance of a simple book like that. Just like the importance of this book right here. Okay, this fully involved leadership concept, this theory that you have put to practice. It's not even a theory. It's actual 
it's a it's a representation of 40 plus years in the fire service that you took chapter by chapter to introduce what works what doesn't work and how you succeeded and i wish people knew the importance of books like these and how they can evolve as leaders because one of the things i've encountered the young guy sometimes doesn't want to listen to the old guy right well why wouldn't you why wouldn't you that old guy he made it there for some reason somehow some way and it's scary. I'm an old guy in the fire service. When you look at the 18, 19, 20 somethings walking through the door, I'm ancient history to them. What do we have in common? The best, the best thing you can do with the old guys, quote unquote, is get ramp time with them. Yeah. Sit out there and listen to them talk about the fires they fought, the things they've experienced, and, and just be a sponge and absorb all that. God, it's and, amazing uh, what you can yeah. learn. Oh, it's amazing. It is truly amazing. So, by the way, I, I was looking when you're holding the book. It looks pretty tattered. You, uh, you've been getting your money's worth out of that thing. It looks like, even though I gave it to you free, I might have. You did enough. give it to me for free. Full disclosure. Full disclosure. Yeah, you and are my, you are my friend. <sighs> but I this, would never charge a friend money. So this inscription is what made the difference for me right here. Okay, the, oh. that was the first gift you ever exchanged with me. Um, this right here, fully involved leadership and 401 things being the second. And I've handed this book to my probie Kyle, who's handed it off to other probies and, and other one to two year guys and girls in the service. And I remember saying, Kyle, where's the book? Cause I'm going to need it eventually. You know, when we were really starting to plan this whole interview over the book and he said, Lou, I got to make a phone call or two, but I know it's out there. I'm like, okay, it's an important book because I understand that Lou I'll find it. And he did. And it came back to me and I'm like, this has got some uh, road wear on it. You know, it's seen, uh, it's seen the sites out there and I'm kind of proud of that. You know, I'm kind of proud of that. I'm, I'm honored that people are reading it. I, uh, like I said, I, I, I would never charge you. I don't charge friends. I, uh, I've had some firefighters that all of a sudden an order will come through and I see one of my firefighters buying one of my books. I go, you will not pay for one of my books. No, uh, I, give them, I give them my money. I give them their money back. I give them the book. Uh, just last week, my photographer from yeah. my department, she, I see that an order came through. She's trying to buy 401 things veteran firefighters can teach you one of my books. Yep. And I yep. said, no, no, I will not. I text her. I said, I'm, I'm giving you your money back. I'm not, you get a book, but I'm not, I'm not going to charge you. So I, I don't do that to people. So, but so uh, I'm, I'm so, I'm so thrilled that you have the book and that you found it, you know, uh, of such value. I, uh, I, I, I'm amazed at how many copies are sold, the paperbacks, uh, the, and then I have it on audible. Uh, a lot of people like to listen to it on audible. And I had one department recently buy 40 books. Oh, wow. Washington State, and uh, the chief said, "Would you come on and and do Zoom calls with us and teach and do professional development?" And I says, "Absolutely." So, so uh, I'm gonna spend time with them, and uh, and you know, and I think uh, that's an opportunity that I can do with other departments also, that we can talk about the who would you, what kind of person you would you follow if they were a leader? Who wouldn't you follow? Because you know, as you know, Jason, inside this book. Each, at the end of each chapter, there are takeaways from yes. each chapter yeah. to find the great the points of that chapter. And then I ask you, there are contemplations. Right here. And for yeah. the viewers who are going to see this on YouTube, if you go to YouTube.com uh, or go to the Can Man Radio Show on YouTube, I'm showing you an image of the takeaways and the actual contemplations. Where you have to self-reflect. Yeah. I challenge you with questions after each chapter. Um, and, and you have to self-reflect on those. 
And hopefully you gain from that so that you can become a better leader as you self-reflect on your past actions or whatever, whatever your mission, your goals, your mission or your vision is. You know, and, and, and this is what I want to say. And, and I said it to you in private. You know, we do talk uh, and, and I, I enjoy getting to talk to you. What? Like. Once a week, at least, it seems we get the chat for at least five minutes on the phone, whether you're traveling back from, uh, you know, St. Louis to Illinois or vice versa on a Friday versus a Sunday. It's a good chat time, except when you hit that dead zone, that inevitable dead zone. But, you know, I I, I told you and it's important that people realize that the concept of leadership is nothing, nothing new and nothing out of reach or out of potential of anyone who seeks to learn about it. And, And yet your style is something that with every page in this book, there was a concept, a theory, a sentence, or a process that resonated with me that said, holy shit, I, I do the same thing. And I didn't realize it until I read the book and realized that leadership styles can align in so many ways. You just have to be understanding that it came from a generation before you maybe, but that generation might've honed in on something and enhanced it. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and so what is the best leadership style? You know, there are all kinds. I had one chief told me he's a benevolent dictator. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, sure. So I, I said, you know, if that's what you think, but we should be servant leaders. Yes, we should. Yes, we, we should. should be there. We should be there to serve our firefighters. We you know? should be there to take care of our firefighters. We should be there to make sure they're trained, their resources, their needs, everything they need that when they go out the door that they're safe and that they can serve the community. We should be servant leaders. I'm not talking about serving them dinner or lunch and clearing the platter and clearing the plate. I'm talking about servant, true servant leadership. You know, you you talked about Teddy Roosevelt, and uh, you know, I I just did a paper on him actually for one of my classes in my masters. And one of the things that I think uh, a leader should never do is use his uh, his position as a bully pulpit to get things accomplished. And, and if I had to throw a Teddy quote in there, that was uh, or a reference that was uh, one example I can use where he did for his reasons, obviously, and the genre and the time was where it was necessary. But a good leader should not bully others into performing. And I think that is something that should be considered when you consider taking your role in leadership. How are you going to treat others and how are you going to act as a, as a leader? So now you're making me stretch my brain. There's a great quote from, I have to try to pull it up, but it's from, from uh, Eisenhower uh, about how you treat people. And I said, that's not, he, the quote is basically, that's not leadership. That's assault. Yeah. And I'm trying, and if I, while we're, while we're anyway, I'll, for your listening audience, go look it up. Is a quote from General Eisenhower, and he talks about leadership. and uh, And I and I can't remember the first part of the quote, but the last part of the quote is is that that's not leadership, that's assault. Amen, brother. What you just said uh, about bullying your employees, they they should never fear you. No. They should be able to come to you, and without fear of retribution, that there's a mistake or there's an issue. And, you know, and, and let you know about it and let's fix it and move on. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I am okay with that. I, I, you know, if you made a mistake, you know, unless you did it with intent, I, I'm okay. Let's fix it and let's move on. Amen, brother. And with that being said, I want to take this opportunity to remind everybody the book is called Fully Involved Leadership by Chief Gary Ludwig. 40 plus years in this profession, there is a takeaway on every page. And if you take the opportunity, go to Amazon, buy this book. If you like it on Audible, 
go listen to it and buy it there as well. Audible, Amazon, your two best sources to find this. And my friend Gary, Chief, as always, you know it's an honor to have you on this show. It's always an honor to talk about your work and what you've taught me. And I reflect often on many of the conversations, and it all falls back into being a good leader and a good mentor and the means and the methods that gets us there. Well, you're a good brother. And uh, as an, and I'm just so thrilled, so thrilled that you're a friend also. So, well, wow. um, so I, it's such a, such a great time to come on here with you as I always do. And, and we can just talk about things and laugh. Yeah. From time to time. And so, throw the jabs at each other when we have to. Yeah. Youngster is all you are. So I, listen, and you're a Cardinals fan and I don't hold that against you. Okay. It is what it is. It is what um, it is. Tony, one of the team that has more World Series rings than championship. Uh, hey, who would that be? That's the Yankees. So. Ah, that's true. I forgot about that. As long as you didn't say the White Sox, we're okay. We're okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's you know, it. The St. Louis Cardinals uh, are the second highest, or the second most, uh, and second most to the World Championship. Oh, well, on that note, I'm going to close it there and just let it lie because we're going to leave baseball alone in this subject. <laughs> You're not a Cubs fan, are you? Uh, from the north side of Chicago, you damn straight I am. Oh, my God. You know, I I, I, uh, I look forward to the year 21-24. Yeah. Uh, you know, about 104 years from now, that, that'll be – Again, another 108 years uh, from their last World Series win. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. At least I got to see it in my lifetime, so I could be proud of that. I'm good with that. So, all right, good. Got your jabs in. Got your little left and your right. We're good. I like that, Chief. God bless you, man, and thank you for coming on. That, huh? Hey, bless, bless you, brother. Love you much. I love you too, brother, and thank you for always coming on and giving me this opportunity just to just to hang out with a, a brother and, and just talk about the good stuff that comes with all of our experience and even the bad stuff. So with that being said, everybody keep your head on a swivel. We're in those moments in life. I think we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, chief. I think you can agree with that. I hope we're getting close to it at least because we have uh, enough, enough (laughs) shit we've experienced over the last year. That's enough for a career. The sun is peeking out from behind the clouds and it's going to be a bright sunny day soon. Amen. All right. Well, with that, keep your head on a swivel. Always be your brothers and your sister's keeper. And, uh, Never fail to rise to the occasion and look out for each other, all right? So we'll catch you again on the flip side.